So welcome to the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer's first mentors interview. Um, as editorial fellows, we wanted to learn from the amazing leaders in our field and take inspiration from their experiences. Today, we are honored to speak with Professor Pedro Ramirez, Editor-in-Chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. And with me today is Kike from the University of Navarra in Spain, Irina from Medical University of Innsbruck in Austria, Niclo from Policlinico Gemelli in Rome, Alex from Hi. Kinshasa University Hospital in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, Arthur from National Taiwan Hospital in Taiwan, and I'm Anna from the University Hospitals of Leicester in the UK. Thank you for joining us, Professor Ramirez. Absolutely, thank you. And it's a great pleasure uh, speaking with, uh, with all of you. And I am honored to have been uh, selected for this podcast. Thank you. Brilliant, thanks so much. So um, our first question is just to tell us about your career path and what led you into gynecological oncology. Well, thanks very much. And uh, once again, um, I am uh, very grateful for the time that each of you has devoted to uh, uh, putting this podcast together. Uh, in answer to you, to your first question, um, main, the inspiration for gynecologic oncology actually uh, came uh, from uh, a very important patient. Uh, it was a, a patient that was uh, suffering from cancer. That was my mother. Um, and um, she uh, uh, was uh, an amazing woman, somebody who was incredibly vibrant and very, very smart. Um, and she unfortunately was diagnosed with cancer. And uh, this was my first introduction into the field of oncology. And as I watched her go through the, the diagnosis and, and treatment uh, of her disease, this was absolutely an inspiration for me to one day uh, be able to um, provide uh, gynecologic oncology uh, uh, services to, to a patient. Um, you know, certainly the, the decision to becoming a gynecologic oncologist came uh, at the time of, uh, of the residency um, when I rotated through the uh, multiple uh, um, specialties within the field of obstetrics and gynecology. And I clearly knew that gynecologic oncology was what I wanted to do, uh, not only because of the initial um, um, uh, devotion that I had for oncology, um, but also particularly for women's cancer. So I, um, I, I was very determined to become a, a gynecologic oncologist at that point. Wow, thank you. That, thanks for sharing that with us. That's brilliant. Um, you've obviously been so successful in the field. We wondered um, what has been the most exciting point in your career? <laughs> uh, there have been several exciting points. I mean, you know, certainly when I was in uh, when I was in residency, and then I really uh, finally decided to become a gynecologic oncologist. Of course, I wanted to go to what I consider was the the top training program in the country, um, and uh, I always uh, had a dream of uh, coming and training at, at MD Anderson. So when I first uh, learned that I was one of the fellows that was selected uh, to train at MD Anderson, I was incredibly happy uh, because I knew that this would pave the way for, for the ideal academic and clinical career. So that, that was uh, one of those points. And I think, of course, I think uh, the, the other is one that you are all familiar with, which is um, you know, the timing of the um, of the results in the publication of the LAC trial, which was 
um, an incredible feat and uh, in something that took a tremendous amount of effort, dedication, resources, and it was a collaboration among so many of our colleagues and to finally see it um, to where it is today, where it changed practice, that to me was uh, an incredible, uh, exciting point in my, in my career. Amazing. And we've definitely got some questions for you um, about the last one. <laughs> <laughs> um, one just additional, more general question is, um, what values got you where you are today? That's a great question. Um, I think, you know, certainly there are a number uh, that I would absolutely highlight. And uh, one is uh, a tremendous dedication, uh, hard work, um, a, a determination uh, to, to reach your goal. And, uh, and certainly this is something that throughout my career, I have uh, persevered in, 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 in definitely consistently uh, devoted a tremendous amount of time and effort to achieve my, my mission and, and my goals. So I think that those are, those, those are critically important and also trying to always maintain focus and, and have a sense of, uh, of a clear direction as to where do you wanna go in your academic career uh, trying to minimize the, the distractions and, and certainly always understanding the fact that, that we're consistently, constantly learning and uh, learning from new experiences and, and learning to overcome obstacles and learning to overcome failures, uh, which are inherent to any journey that, that we take in life, not, not just professionally. So I think that those are the, the primary values that, um, that got me to where I am today. Brilliant, that, that's amazing, thank you. Um, I think um, Kike has some questions he'd like to ask you now. All right, thank you, Anna. Thank you very much, Anna, for your invitation and thank you very much, Dr. Ramirez, for being here today. I think this podcast, it's a great opportunity for all young guys and colleagues like me to continue learning from your knowledge and also from your experience. That's why I was wondering about your great work, the LAC trial. How did you first came up with the idea of the LAC trial and were there any challenges you are happy to share with us? Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Kike. Uh, that's, a, that's a great question. And again, you know, such an exciting time to be where you are now, you know, starting your, your academic career. Um, and, uh, and it's also such a, such a great time for motivation and, and, uh, and inspiration. Um, so the LAC trial, uh, back in 2008, when we uh, began the LAC trial, we had evidence in the field of gynecologic oncology that the minimally invasive approach was an adequate and feasible and safe uh, oncologic approach to patients with uterine cancer. Uh, we knew from the GOG Lab 2 that uh, certainly there were no differences in terms of oncologic outcomes. Um, pertaining to the two surgical approaches, the, the laparoscopy, of course, at that time, and then subsequently robotics uh, compared to the open approach. There was a subsequent study called the LACE uh, trial that also evaluated the two surgical approaches and also confirmed that there was no difference between the two surgical approaches. So then the question was, would we see the same in the setting of cervical cancer? And you know, when we had the initial discussions, some of the some of the rebuttals were, "Why? What makes you think that this is going to be different than uterine cancer?" And therefore, 
would we consider that this would be a, a quote, a waste of time to do this study and, and devote this amount of time and effort and resources and funding to carrying on such a large trial? The concern was that obviously, as you know, uterine cancer is very different from cervical cancer. Uterine cancer is a tumor that is confined within the cavity of the, uh, of the uterus. Um, and cervical cancer often is a tumor that is exposed, a tumor where you're using a uterine manipulator that could potentially um, increase the likelihood of spread of the disease. And we said, you know, we, we really don't have any prospective data on cervical cancer. So we think that this may be an ideal approach. Now, obstacles. I don't think this podcast is long enough to go through the <laughs> number of obstacles that, uh, that we face. But obviously, one of the first was the, um, the bias that there was towards minimally invasive surgery at that time, where uh, you know, minimally invasive surgery had already been incorporated fairly heavily into the field of gynecologic oncology, uh, at least from retrospective data. Uh, there was an indication that patients were going home sooner and the patients were recovering faster and getting back to their daily activities. So therefore, there, there was a conviction, not only on the part of the doctors, but also of the patients who were already asking for a minimally invasive approach, uterine cancer, cervical cancer. So when I approached many sites, um, uh, the, the answer was always uh, the same. Um, we're not gonna be able to randomize patients because we feel that the minimally invasive approach is better and the patients are asking for the minimally invasive approach. So therefore, how could we ethically put a patient on for open surgery? And of course, obviously the argument was, well, this question hasn't been tested. We haven't done it in a prospective randomized fashion and the concern for oncologic outcomes. And again, the, the answer was we're always very similar, but we already have data in uterine cancer that it's safe. So what makes you think that it's not gonna be safe in, the, in cervical cancer? But we, we persevered, we insisted, we continued. Um, and more and more centers were willing to randomize patients, including ours. And at that time, we, we, when we had discussions with a patient, we said, the standard is open and the minimally invasive approach is the experimental arm. So therefore, if you want to consider a minimally invasive approach, then you, you, you should be on a, on a clinical trial. So obviously, there was increasing interest, increasing accrual. Uh, always financially, it's, it's very challenging to do uh, any prospective randomized trial of that magnitude. Uh, and also, learning to understand and deal with any prospective randomized trial is going to take a long time for you to get to the answer, particularly in a disease that is not very common in, the, in, the, in places like the United States or, or Europe. So that, that was the reason, and those are some of the, the, main, the main obstacles, but certainly, as I said, a much longer conversation for <laughs> all of the learning points that we had from the LAC trial. Okay. Ad hoc conversation. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Thank you for your amazing answer. Okay. I want to know more. How did you feel when you first did the analysis from the LAC trial and realized it was a practice changing finding that could shape the future of cervical cancer management? How is this moment? <laughs> yeah, so that, that's an interesting uh, backstory. Um, you know, certainly at the beginning when we first learned of the results, uh, the, the initial reaction was shock, obviously, because we were not expecting that. Just uh, historically, 
and back in, in uh, June of 2017, um, the Data Safety Monitoring Committee uh, contacted us and they said, there seems to be a signal in one of the arms that indicates that you should stop accrual. Doesn't mean you're gonna close the study. We just need to not recruit any more patients because there is a concern. And we cannot tell you as the principal investigator what that concern is because the study is not officially closed. Um, we cannot tell you which arm is the concern, but you have to stop accruing patients. So of course, we at that time, we were at 631 patients of the proposed 740 patients. And naturally, the, the natural tendency is to say, what do you mean? What, what's the concern? What's the issue? Uh, and they said, no, we cannot tell you because the study is, is still open. Um, what we do recommend is that we take a period of about three months or so we get all of the sites to update all of the information about each patient. And then we'll do a reanalysis in September or October of 2017. And at that point, you can continue to 740 or we may need to stop. So obviously there was this campaign in, um, in getting all of the centers to gather that information. And then in October of 2017, that's when they redid the analysis and they sat down with us with a trial management committee and the data safety monitoring committee. And they said, we have to stop the study. We have to unblind and we have to tell you the results. And of course, at that point, uh, we, we were very shocked and we couldn't believe it. Um, I asked for a independent analysis of a third statistician to, to look at the data, to uh, go over the, the data, that the results were, were the same. And then, of course, obviously, came the, um, the, 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 the impact of the presentation, which was in the SGO meeting in March of 2018. Um, and I still remember that after I finished the presentation, the uh, chair of the SGO uh, approached me and she said, how does it feel to change the field of gynecologic oncology? Uh, and at that point, I didn't really see that there was going to be this much magnitude of change. But then within a year, the NCCN guidelines, ESGO, ESMO, um, the FIGO guidelines, all recommending the open approach. And that was, of course, a, a, an incredible, in, in, incredible feeling. Okay. I think it's amazing to know the inside of the trial. Finally, the last one, I promise it. After your experience with a LAC trial, could you please share with us if you have or if there is any magic recipe for designing a large surgical randomized clinical trial? Thank you. Wow, that's a broad question. Uh, magic, magic recipe. No, I mean, I think that the most important thing in any trial, uh, particularly a prospective trial, is to make sure that you have the adequate study design and that you have a very solid statistical uh, team to help you answer the question appropriately, uh, to try to avoid confounders and biases, um, and also to assure that the question that you're asking is a relevant question to the field, and it's a timely question to, to the field. Um, and then, of course, obviously, uh, assuring that this is going to be feasible in a patient population that you will be able to accrue uh, within a reasonable amount of time for, for your study. Methods, methods, methods. 
<laughs> that's right. That's exactly right. That's what we keep saying at all of our meetings. <laughs> that's that's a, really a dogma for us now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks so much. It's amazing to be able to, to hear those experiences and we've learned so much. I think Irina now has a few questions. Oh, thank you, Kike. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today, uh, Pedro, and we are very, very honored that uh, you are our first guest in this podcast. So I have one question uh, on your career objectives. What are your career objectives in the short and in the long term? <laughs> well, thank you so much, uh, Irina. Um, and I'm so flattered that uh, at this point in my career and at my age, you're asking about the long-term <laughs> <laughs> career objectives. Uh, so I'm, I'm really thankful and I'm very grateful that you're asking long-term, uh, you know, it, 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 more realistically that the, the question should be, what's your short-term career? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think that one of the things that I absolutely... Um, love about what I do and, and one of the things that I really find exciting and really gratifying about what I do is uh, mentorship and teaching and uh, helping others to hopefully take on a similar path and trajectory as, as I have with regards to uh, research, uh, clinical and, and education. Um, so, you know, certainly in terms of the long term, I'll answer that uh, first, in terms of the long term is to assure that I continue to serve as a mentor and helping others um, become leaders within the field of gynecologic oncology, uh, helping others to be uh, quite critical of the data that is, uh, that is published to um, be able to create the, the, the strategies um, that will make them successful in their, in their clinical and academic uh, careers. Now, um, in terms of short term, of course, obviously, I want to continue seeing the growth of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. Uh, I want to see uh, the, the journal uh, be a source of, uh, of the, the best uh, literature that is published within, uh, within our field. Um, and again, I mean, I, I want to see each of the members of the team succeed and, and hopefully carry on uh, once I, I move forward uh, from that particular position to have uh, leaders, young leaders in the field, uh, hopefully continue that tradition and continue that same mission uh, within the journal. And this is where I look to all of you to hopefully carry that, that, uh, that banner uh, in, the, in the coming years. Um, and, uh, and, and certainly that's, that's, that's to me is, a, is a obviously an incentive. And then also more closely to home is to continue uh, mentoring uh, our junior faculty uh, and supporting uh, the uh, ongoing prospective uh, studies that they're conducting and providing my input and my advice and my experience uh, so that they will be able to not only implement the studies, accrue onto the studies, but also complete the studies. Okay, thank you. Um, I have one more question on your experience as uh, the editor of International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. Um, what are the highlights of this time? <laughs> yeah, uh, there have been many, actually. Uh, th this, was, this was a really exciting project uh, for me. I really thought that this was a great opportunity to bring a new profile to the journal, to uh, 
um, you know, certainly uh, bring together a team of individuals who will be able to um, make the journal one of the uh, leading journals in, in our field. Um, so working with leaders within our field uh, in the editorial team has been fantastic. Uh, honestly, I have to tell you, one of the highlights for me uh, of the journal is the, the creation of the, of the journal fellowship and to have uh, you know, the, this, this group of individuals like yourselves who are young, uh, dedicated, devoted, and clearly you're all going to be the leaders of gynecologic oncology in the future. Um, and, 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 and to me, that has been one of the highlights of, uh, of, the, uh, of the journal and to have an opportunity to interact with, uh, with um, the, the young faculty of gynecologic oncology and, and, and provide some uh, form of knowledge and teaching in, in that setting. And then, of course, lastly, we want to see every June, we want to see that impact factor continuing to, to go up. And, uh, and I'm certain that it will continue to do so. Okay, thank you. It's also a highlight for us, this um, fellowship. Thank I think you. I speak for all of us. <laughs> thank you so, so much, Irina. <laughs> Definitely. Absolutely, this has been an incredible opportunity for all of us. Um, we'll pass over to Alex now for a few more questions. Thank you, Irina. Mm -hmm. Professor Ramirez, thank you for being with us. It's a great honor for us to have you for this podcast. Uh, professor, you are deeply involved in research and uh, clinical practice in the field of gynecologic oncology. And all over your career, can you tell us what is an important leadership lesson you have learned and how has it proven invaluable? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Alex. Thank you so much for, for asking that question. You know, I think that we have to be aware of the fact that we're continuously learning, uh, that we have to continuously explore, that we have to be humble about what we explore. Uh, and that oftentimes uh, the answers that we find may be different from what we thought was the ideal answer or the appropriate answer. And to, to be able to be flexible and to be able to have the maturity and the integrity to be able to be flexible and move forward um, and, and just continue asking and continue learning and continue uh, uh, trying to understand the questions that are relevant in our field so that our patients will ultimately do much better. Um, I think that certainly th th these, these qualities will, will definitely help each of us as we move through, through, through our careers and in, in, in our field. I think also regardless of how incredibly successful each of you might become in your field, also understand that uh, at some point we were all uh, in, in a position of beginners and that uh, learn to take those beginners by the hand and, and, and learn to promote them and learn to highlight their successes and help them through their failures so that they will become stronger in the future. Thank you for this uh, valuable answer. And uh, secondly, in the same scope, uh, if you can look at the future, what do you think oncology will look like 10 years from today? <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's, it's amazing. Uh, you know, when you look back, um, you know, the internet has only been with us for about 22 years. 
you know, and, and you look at, you know, smartphones, I think came out sometimes in around 2008. Uh, and now we can't live without these things. Um, and I think that, you know, certainly the field of oncology is evolving so fast. Um, there's so much information that we're gaining. Um, there's so much new information about the molecular profiles and the molecular targets that we're able to, to develop. Um, there's so much information uh, that is being brought to our field, uh, new technologies, innovation, artificial intelligence, how all of this is going to broaden the scope of the information that we have. Uh, and it's really exciting to, to think about what all of this is going to do to impact our practice and, uh, and patient care. You know, certainly I think that our field is continuing to expand, it's continuing to evolve. Um, you know, certainly in the past, a gynecologic oncologist was a surgeon, uh, often a surgeon that had to be familiar with very limited amount of chemotherapy information that often targeted the disease sites of gynecologic cancers. But now there is so much information not only in chemotherapies, but also in novel therapeutics, in molecular profiling, um, that I think is just a field that is expanding so fast and so broad that, uh, that it'll be very exciting to see how we as gynecologic oncologists are going to be able to manage patients, change the course of disease in the next 10, 15 years with the help of all this innovation and with the help of uh, of uh, the new technology that is going to be available. And, and equally, as I mentioned technology, there's really exciting uh, um, data with regards to newer forms of surgical tools that we're going to have available to us um, that we probably cannot even imagine how uh, that's going to change our field. But uh, particularly, again, going back to the field of artificial intelligence, image-guided surgery, um, all of these things are going to be very exciting in the next 10, 10, 15 years. Your answer uh, very impressive. Thank you so much, Professor Ramirez. <laughs> Thank you, Alex. Learning from you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Great. And over to Arthur. It's such an honor to have this talk with you, Professor Ramirez. And um, I was always wondering, since you have uh, so much work to do, uh, what about your life work balance? Do you manage to have <laughs> for your family and friends? Yes, uh, I think, you know, it's about priority and efficiency. Uh, I think it's just uh, making sure that you um, wake up every day with a very clear and defined plan as to how you're going to manage your time. Um, but I think, again, it is exceedingly important that we all uh, prioritize the things that are important to us and how that might be family, uh, you know, certainly your, your hobbies, your, your, your other interests are, are clearly important uh, to learn the value, to look beyond medicine, to look outside medicine, the value of uh, a conversation with a friend or a value of reading a good book, or the value of exercising, eating well, all of these things that are, that are often forgotten or compromised in the setting of this very high, fast-paced uh, life that we all uh, lead. 
Um, so I think it's, it's clearly very, very important to assure that that is never compromised because your health and your well-being is what's most important. Well, thank you for this um, excellent answer. And um, what would you say to a young physician who is thinking about entering the field of oncology? <laughs> I would say absolutely. Come on in. Uh, I think that uh, you know it's an it's an exciting time. Uh, I think it's uh, there. There's so much uh, to be learned, and there's so many areas of research. Uh, there's so many questions that still remain unanswered. Uh, there's so many patients that need us um, at every level and uh, uh, in, in many countries. Uh, there are many opportunities for a young individual to make an impact, uh, not only clinically. Um, but also in the areas of research, uh, and uh, and I think uh, it is it is a very exciting time to to enter our field, and and really again there's plenty ample opportunities to make a mark in the field of gynecologic oncology uh, moving forward. Thank you, thank you so much. Of course, thank you, Arthur. And uh, Nikle. So. Thank you, Pedro. I would like to congratulate with you because uh, this for us, it's an amazing and unique opportunity. Your enthusiasm, your mentorship are really contagious, really. Congratulations. It's, uh, it's, so, it's such a, an, an amazing time for us. I am really enjoying it and I'm enjoying this interview as well. Uh, you know, That's we have... Nico. <laughs> great. We, we have uh, been fellows we are fellows, so we always wonder, what do you look for in a fellow or in a trainee? That's a great question. Uh, definitely, certainly, when I consider what are the qualities of, of a great fellow, I think it's someone who is truly devoted to impacting patient care, somebody who is conscientious about their mission to become a gynecologic oncologist as being a mission where everything that we do should be about impacting patient care, about taking good care of your patients. Uh, the fact that we take care of patients is, is an absolute privilege and honor. It's not a right that we have, it's, it's an honor and a privilege. And I think that we all should remember that always, to look at every patient as if it's a family member, uh, to treat every patient as if it's a family member. Um, so I think obviously someone who has that as their priority entering the field, of course, obviously also somebody who is willing to work hard, who is incredibly uh, dedicated, who is uh, motivated, who is enthusiastic, and somebody who always has a great outlook on life and a positive outlook on life and uh, somebody that could be not only a colleague, but also a friend. Thank you. Thank you very much for this very nice uh, answer. Also, talking about surgery, we, we were wondering uh, um, between us, do you think uh, if uh, are surgeons born or made? <laughs> Can everybody become a skilled surgeon by practice or it's just a gift? Yeah, you know, and, and I think probably surgeons are very opinionated about that answer. <laughs> Uh, and there are some surgeons who will tell you, absolutely, uh, you have to be born to be a surgeon. No, I mean, I think that, you know, obviously we all are born uh, and, and, and enter this career as beginners. And um, I think uh, a lot has to do with the level of interest, enthusiasm, 
and uh, motivation that each individual might have. I, I, you know, when he or she enters that operating room for the first time, is your level of excitement, your level of of, uh, of motivation to to want to do that case and want to take feedback from that case and to learn from that case and to be able to say, what can I do to improve? And what can I do to make uh, you know, the, the, my outcome significantly better? And I think that if you have that structure and there's that root to the development of your career as a surgeon, naturally you're going to increasingly become a better and better and better surgeon. And frankly, I think also is, is a very uh, ab absolutely uh, clear reality that on your last day of surgery, you should still feel that if you did one more surgery, you would still learn from that additional surgery. I think yeah. that we should never strive to be to the point where we say, I, that's it. I made it. I'm now the best surgeon that I can be. Just continuing to do, to learn, to to explore, and also continuing to be humble and 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 be able to take feedback from someone else uh, uh, regarding your your approach, and uh, and always asking yourself, could I have done better? Thank you. Thank you very much for the advices. I'm sure that we will all make uh, like a treasure of, of them. Uh, my last question is, uh, it's a bit tricky, but uh, we were wondering what is the most unexpected obstacle you've had to face in your career? <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, uh, there's definitely been many obstacles. You know, I think that um, not, not so much of an obstacle, but I think that the, 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 the most unexpected experience was obviously as a result of the, um, of the, the reaction that many of uh, our colleagues in gynecologic oncology have had about the, the, the large trial that we conducted, the LAC trial, um, in that certainly it is advisable to always question. It is advisable to always repeat studies. It is advisable to always wonder. Um, but in the face of what we consider uh, prospective randomized data, um, where there is additional data showing very similar results, uh, to me it was surprising to see the reluctance by many to change and to change practice. And to, and to me, um, that has always been something that I didn't expect from uh, a field of individuals who should have as a mission learning from the experiences that we have, exploring and, and applying that knowledge that is gained from those experiences. Um, and, and to me, that was, uh, that was a bit surprising and, and a bit unexpected. Uh, but again, I mean, obviously we continue to strive to, to, to study further, to confirm data um, and, to, and to try to move forward uh, and again, ultimately always thinking it is not about me, it is about our patients and we should do what is best for them. Thank you. Thank you very much. And always the, the main issue is the care of the patient. So we, we are all in the same direction. It's not one against the other, but it's all against the cancer. That's right. Thank you very much. And uh, I will leave again the word to Anna. Thank you, Nico.
Thank you. Brilliant. Thank you. It, it was great, really. But yeah, um, I, I think we only have one final question. Um, and that's we've given that one to Arthur. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Anna. Arthur uh, deserved the last question. Yeah. <laughs> And thanks for everything you're doing, Arthur, for us. And it's uh, really great to have you, really. Thank you. Oh, so, um, Professor Ramirez, um, we always want to know what, what impacted you the most. So uh, we we're wondering, which was the patient that impacted you the most in your entire career? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that it's, um, as I think, uh, it's obvious that it was not my patient but it was a patient and again uh, as repeating it was my mother who um who passed from breast cancer and uh and i think that she was uh, someone that was the main inspiration for me to uh go into the field of uh, oncology and ultimately again uh, gynecologic oncology was the chosen out of the subspecialties of oncology um, but, um, you know, through that experience, I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about the impact that this disease has on patients. And uh, this was definitely a driving motivation for me to hopefully one day, as I looked at at that time, uh, impact patients, patient care, and, uh, and the comfort uh, that patients need uh, through going through this disease that is uh, often very, very, very challenging. So uh, that was, uh, that to me was the most inspiring patient. Thank you, Pedro. As, as uh, someone who follows so much about you, this is the first time that I've heard about this, uh, this uh, uh, about your mother. And uh, we're very uh, grateful that you have shared such uh, experiences, memories with us. And now I'm, I'm handing it back to Anna. Thank you, Arthur. Yeah, we just wanted to, to thank you so much for, for sharing with us and for um, giving us your wisdom and your mentorship through this experience. Um, it has been a complete honor to, to hear these experiences. Um, and we just wanted to thank you for the outstanding contribution you've made for women with gynecological cancer. Um, and thank you for trying to help us to, to progress in our careers. Thank you. Well, thank you, Anna, and I want to thank all of you. And uh, once again, I want to reaffirm how incredibly proud I am to work uh, with each of you. Um, each day, I'm inspired by your suggestions, including the suggestion of the mentorship uh, podcast. Uh, I'm inspired by your initiative. And again, I'm just so encouraged by your enthusiasm for the field, for advancing the field. And seeing you all, I feel that our, our field of gynecologic oncology is certainly full of great superstars. Thank you.